1: Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. So have you ever been identified as high potential talent in your organization? Or has somebody mentioned those words to you? Or maybe you have a colleague that has been told they were high potential. So what does it mean to be high potential? And what does it take to be high potential? And what's it that these high potentials do that the rest others don't do? So, and by the way, if you're a manager, how do you identify the true high potential talent in your team? And what do you do to help them develop Well, that's the themes we're going to be talking about today. First, focusing on you as an individual and what it means to you as being high potential. And then second, focusing on you as a leader and what you're doing for your talent and developing the talent and identifying the high potential talent. Now, my guest today is uniquely qualified, I think, to speak about this, Jim Shanley, retired in 2005 from Bank of America, where he led a cultural integration in over 10 significant mergers and acquisitions. He was a member of the Management Operating Committee and he had global accountability for talent, staffing, executive development, succession planning, organizational development, leadership development, and learning with a team of over 1,500 professionals. In short, we can say Jim has been there and done that in terms of talent management. Now, under Jim's leadership, Bank of America earned a reputation as being a benchmark company for their HR leadership development and talent management programs and processes. And having watched the company during the years that Jim was there, I can attest that, indeed, they did an amazing job. Jim is a frequent speaker on talent management and leadership development. He's worked with some of the most well-regarded companies around the world, companies like, and I'm giving you only a subset, Google, Microsoft, Salesforce, PayPal, MasterCard, J&J, AbbVie, Blackstone, KPMG, Zurich Insurance, MetLife, McDonald's, Merck, Coca-Cola, Nike, Kellogg's, Volvo, Corning, and Telstra, just to name a handful. Jim also served on the original steering committee for McKinsey and Company's groundbreaking work called The War for Talent, which was a research project that started with McKinsey. He's a frequent national speaker on topics of talent management and leadership development and also served as a consultant to the White House. And in 2012, he co-founded the Talent Management Institute at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill to focus on building talent capabilities for executives and HR leaders. So Jim, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you, Wanda.
1: It's a pleasure to have you here. It's also fun to talk to you about this topic because I think a lot of people don't understand. Leaders don't understand. Individuals don't understand. And we say you need to manage your career, but we don't give people an awful lot of help on what that means and what they do. So let me start with the question I always ask everybody. Why does this topic matter to you? What's the problem you're seeing that you think companies and leaders need to do better at?
2: Yeah, Wanda, um, my operating assumption is that the quality of a company's talent impacts the results. The better the talent, the better the the results. I help companies in two areas uh, to develop the strategy and capabilities so they can attract and retain more than their fair share of great talent. And I help them with processes to build better talent faster. And the key is to accurately identify the best talent who can go far and fast, i.e. they have high potential. And then how do you accelerate their development? If you do that, I think companies who have more of their fair share of talent win. Um, why it matters to your listeners, what's the benefit of being a high performer and a high potential? High performance and high potential will get you more what you may value, whether that's flexibility, power, opportunity, pay, recognition.
1: Okay. Performance and potential. More of it gives me more of what I want, the better. And I happen to agree with you. I mean, everybody says uh, people are our greatest asset, but I don't think we spend enough time focusing on what it means we do with and for that asset in order to make sure it's growing the results of the company. Okay. Go far and fast. All right. What do you mean really by high potential?
2: Yeah, high potential to me is those individuals who can accelerate upwards to more senior management roles at an accelerated pace. Um, There's technical definitions um, that I can go over with you. Um, And I can also talk about how do I know if I'm a high potential or not? Uh, Yeah,
1: Yeah, I'm going to ask that question. So Where do give, we want to go on that? Give me an example. Like, can you give me an example of what high potentials do that sets themselves apart so I get a better sense yeah. of this? Yeah.
2: Uh, first, it's performance. They perform. They perform at the 80th percentile as compared to their peers. They consistently and significantly outperform their peer groups in a variety of settings and circumstances. They do that in both the what and the how. The how matters, high potentials, is not only delivering the outcomes and results, but it's doing it in the right way. They exhibit the behaviors that reflect their company's culture and values in an exemplary manner. Um, they also exhibit what I would call a high performer's mindset. Um, they have an incredible internal drive to always do their best. And that sometimes means they might prioritize performance at work above some other options. They tend to work harder, they make more work-related trade-offs, and they also realize performance is is relative. What I mean by that, if I had a great year and I achieved 125% of my goals, but my two peers achieved 150% of their goals, I came in third place. High potentials get that, so it starts with performance um, they also exhibit um, aspiration and that that's a tricky word some people would call it ambition um, but they demonstrate to others that they want to move up into more senior roles um, they send signals and we can talk about what kinds of signals they send, but they actually want to do that.
1: Okay. Um, This one, this last one, I'm going to come back to because you know that that's a personal uh, issue, I think, and one I spend a lot of my professional time on, that signaling. But let me come back just to repeat. Performance in the 80th percentile, which is relative to their company, and it's both in the results they get and in the methodologies, the style, the tone, the culture they create, the how... They go about doing that. And again, consistent with our companies. And what's interesting is that's not the 100th percentile. It's at least the 80th percentile. Because presumably I have some great years and some not so great years, but I'm still above average on all the time, above 80th percentile.
2: Uh, Let me me clarify. I want to know it's 80th percentile as compared to my peers. On a consistent basis, Good. year over year, I'm going to outperform 80% of my peers.
1: Okay. 80 percent of my peers, I'm going to outperform on a year in, year out basis. Okay, that puts a definite point on it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that also means I can't judge high potential based on a one year success rate. I got to judge it over time.
2: I I think that's a really important point, Wanda. Um, It's a track record over time. I use. I, I like to use a three-year time frame to do that. Um, there's not necessarily science behind that, but everybody has up years, down years. But if you see a person over three years consistently outperforming in both the what and how, um, that's the first part of right. being high potential. You got to be a high performer first. There's right. more to it, but high. All roads to high potential to me, lead through high performance. performance,
1: right? High performance is the criteria, the table stakes, I would often say, and then the others. Now, and as you rightly said, it's not just performance. And we don't care how you got there. It's performance and how you leave the culture and people around you feeling, correct? Consistent uh, with the values.
2: What's important to your company and all, what's important. Companies, all companies are different around that.
1: Right. And what matters to them? All right. Then second, you said they have this high performance mindset. So yes, they're delivering the goods, the what and the how, but they have this mindset that says an internal drive to do everything they can to perform at their best. So that means they're willing to work hard. They do make some work related trade-offs pretty consistently, pretty regularly. And their uh, performance, they keep themselves relative to their peer set in that top 80th percentile, 80, perform better than 80% of their peers. So that means they also understand where they stand in the pecking order and performance. Okay, I have to give you an example. And then I'm going to go to this third one, which is the aspiration ambition. Um, I routinely hear people say to me, I'm performing better than anybody else in my area. Okay. And they may have outperformed themselves last year and the year before and so on. But I find then I go talk to their manager and they say, yeah, I know that's what the person thinks, but let me tell you this person over here is actually doing a lot more with a lot less. And this person over here is et cetera, et cetera. I find people often don't know where they stack up really relative to their peers and their performance. Uh,
2: I think that's absolutely true. And I think there's two parts of that. One a lot of managers don't shoot straight and aren't candid with their people. The second part, let, let's face it, we're all a little self-delusional about <laughs> our
1: performance. <laughs> I
2: right. think most of us think we're in the upper half of every group we're in, and that's not always the case.
1: That's right. So, I think that's pretty well documented in the research dozens of times over that something like 80% of us think we're in the top 50 percentile. Okay. Yeah. So I need to have be a little tough nose at looking at the data. I hopefully have a manager that's helping me, um, but you can't just take the whole gossip talk to say that's the answer as well, too. That's All true. right. So consistently pour them in the 80th percentile on the what and the how. They have a high-performance mindset, and then they have an aspiration and ambition. Okay. And they send signals that they want to move up. Tell me about what kind of signals you mean.
2: Sure. Um, when there's a tough project, they raise their hand. When there is a high stake, low resource opportunity, they don't shy away from it. They chip in to other teams. They connect with other people to find opportunities to work on things. They actually communicate with their manager or their HR, or HR leader or both. Hey, I'd like to do more. And I I think that's um, up to the individual to do that. That said, the best, I call them talent magnets, those managers who always seem to uh, create strong benches of talent, they know their people really well, and they ask those questions. What do you want? What are your hopes and dreams? What do you want to accomplish? When do you want to move? Why do you want to move? So it's a partnership. Mm -hmm.
1: Okay. Let's talk about one of my favorite topics. Um, I'm going to pretend for the moment that this is unique to women, although you and I know what I'm about to say is not unique. But I find a lot of the females that I work with are not good at expressing their aspiration. They feel that people should know. I'm here. I'm working hard. Why do you think I'm working so hard? You should know I want to advance. And they don't say it. I also find some people, male and female, are not really, don't, don't have that high ambition as a natural part of their personality. So they'll often hide uh, their, they don't have that outward show of, I want more. Yep. So does that disqualify them as high potential or do they just need to do something different?
2: No, I don't think it uh, disqualifies them. Uh, one of my uh, colleagues in the Talent Management Institute, Mark Efron, recently wrote an article on shy pose So instead of high potentials, shy potentials, should organizations work harder to find those people? And the short answer is yes. But I would still say, Wanda, it's the obligation of the person to um, at least raise their hand. And and I, like you, have experienced a lot of people who are really good that could go far and fast that are hesitant, Um, either from they don't think they're competent. They don't have the confidence. Whatever it is, um, again, I think it's incumbent on the leaders of those people to help those people right. find their voice. Right. That said, it's a two-way partnership. Right.
1: I was talking with somebody today who um, I think would qualify as a high potential and has a new opportunity, sadly, at a different organization. And um, you know, calls because. He, in this particular case, is, oh my goodness, it looks like this company is giving me everything I ever wanted, and I'm now scared. What if I can't deliver, right? And so, uh, you know, are you going to shy away from taking that challenging, poorly resourced at the moment opportunity because you lack the confidence to say, I'm going to give it a go, or I, I can make it happen? Um, or do you say, look, if anybody can do it, I can do it. I believe in my capability. Let's go. I have faith in the business or I don't have faith in the business. But those kind of questions are, again, the differences between people who are identified as high potential and those who are not the willingness to take that risk.
2: Yeah. And, and it's, you know, another part of, of um, when I work with senior leaders in companies when they're trying to identify high potentials, uh, you know, we talk about what about their performance? What, second what about their aspiration where they want but the third thing that i say to leaders um, before we identify someone as a high potential will you stake your reputation on this person that they can perform that they will perform really well in a bigger more complex leadership role will you stake your reputation on that and that stops them because You're trying to determine if a person will be able to figure out what to do when they don't know what to do. Yeah. And that's that's a distinguishing characteristic of high potentials. You throw them into big first time situations and they figure it out. Now, uh, the reason what the research would say, why some of it is personality related. The other is they've had more variety, diversity, and intensity of experiences, which you're an expert on and have written about a lot. Uh, They've got strong intellectual horsepower. Mm -hmm. They're comfortable in ambiguous situations. They love change. They're resourceful. They're pretty good with people. And they're a voracious learner. So that's the third part. Leaders in talent reviews, when they're trying to figure out who's a high potential, starts with performance. What about their aspiration? What do they really want? And then third, would you stake your reputation on them that they'll do really well in a bigger, unfamiliar, more complex role? What's the criteria for that?
1: This last bit, I think, is a really important quality, um, particularly for people who are high potential or want to be identified as high potential is the willingness to go into messy complex unclear ambiguous situations figure it out and get it done because that's what we need more of because we have plenty of those situations we just don't have an awful lot of people to go into it and the list you said you know they've had a variety of experiences so they've done those they've taken those kind of risks before of course they're smart they're comfortable with the ambiguity, as in they'll work through it. They don't mind the change. They're decent with the people equation. They love learning. And I'm going to add one to that is they're not afraid to ask for help.
2: Ab- absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Because I think the only way you get through that ambiguity and crazy thing is you say, well, I've never been here before. Who has? Great. Get them on the team. How do I bring them on? And off we go. Um, so those are the qualities. And I think those, those are ones we often don't think about in ourselves. You know, how am I showing that and how am I demonstrating my willingness to do that? Yeah. Okay. All right, Jim, let's shift gears because I know you make a contrast between high potential with the thing that you call high professional. Yep. So, and for my readers or my listeners, that will be what I mean by people who are purely expertise driven that their comfort zone is their expertise. Their followership is based on their technical knowledge only. Now, granted, most of us have some combination of that, but this high professional is what I call expertise leadership. So is that what you see? Give me an example of the difference between a high potential and a high professional.
2: Well, high professional, again, um, the best, I love what you said, expertise, is the difference between a generalist and a specialist. That's a way of, of thinking about it. High professionals, same thing, though. The best high professionals outperform most of their peers in their specialty area. They're deep experts. Um, they're more comfortable going deep than broad. Mm -hmm. They're not interested in that variety. They want to become expert. Um, But again, when I work with high professionals, and you see that in research, in pharma, in software, Mm -hmm. my theory of the case, Wanda, is that companies win, having more than their fair share of high-performing high professionals, high-performing high potentials. Right. That's what you do. And I value each of those groups equally because, again, those are the ones that are producing the results. Right. That's that's the ones that really add value to the company. So I think high professionals who are great performers with that high performance mindset, who want to be a specialist, there's a place in every company for those right. folks. And you can move up the ladder, but you're probably not going to become COO, CEO, general manager of uh, Asia Pacific. You're going to be more of a specialist in your area.
1: Right. Um, The way I say that is you're going to stay within your specialty area and you can go to the top of wherever your organization places that specialty area, but we probably never take you out of that specialty. So if the general manager position or the senior vice president position that you might aspire to is not one we deem for the specialty, then you're going to reach a ceiling on your title. So I think as a high, if you make that choice to be the specialist, you've got to say, great, but I realize where I go in the hierarchy may get limited.
2: Yeah. And and also on that, my coaching to those high professionals who want to be deep experts is to say, again, focus on performance, both in the what and how in your specialty area. And remember, you're going to have a lot of people underneath you that may also want to be deep, great specialists you better be a great performer and an expert because if not, there's going to be somebody else going to replace you. Or
1: replace you. Right. Um, and I also believe that these high performers need not to just know the other specialists in their company, but that they should be focused on their network in their specialty outside the company. Cause that's where your competitive intelligence comes from. You agree?
2: Uh, absolutely. When I'm in uh, talent reviews with senior executives and, We're talking about talent. Um, One of the questions I always ask is this person our best or the best? Mm -hmm. So, if you want to be a deep specialist, you got to compare yourself to the pool of other deep experts in your specialty field out there.
1: Right.
2: And and I think networking on that and knowing where do I stack up as compared to the external pool? Is really important.
1: It's really important. I have um, a number of times interviewed, say, let's say, a regional head for somebody that I am coaching in his or her team. And the person is an expert, let's say, in risk, just to give it a topic. And one of the questions the senior leader will say, one of the comments the senior leader will say is, I don't understand why this person doesn't know the other regional head's and connected with them and trading stories on what you're doing, how you're doing it, what you're seeing. That's a signal to the senior executive that you're not stacking, measuring yourself on the best in class and being in the best performance mindset as you started with.
2: Absolutely. Agree. one hundred percent.
1: Okay. All right. Ha <laughs> ha. A number of my clients are going, uh Oh, out there. I hope at least as they're listening to this one. All right. Now. Yeah, go ahead.
2: Yeah. I was going to also say, um, Wanda, on being a high potential, um, I always kind of say, have your eyes wide open on that. Make sure you understand what the deal is, that you want to go far and fast. Um, What you'll get if your senior executives say you're a high potential, you'll get more exposure, more opportunity, differentiated development, probably differentiated uh, rewards. But the deal more is going to be expected from you and your performance. The expectations rise. I I tell folks it's like moving from regional theater to Broadway. Uh The lights are brighter, the critics are harsher. Everyone will notice when you trip on stage. And the list gets reevaluated every six, nine, 12 months. So it's not a permanent role. Right.
1: So you're constantly re-qualifying in some ways.
2: Absolutely. It's no different than being an Olympic athlete or anything else. Every season's a new season.
1: Okay. So can you step off this track? What happens if I say I can't keep the pressure on?
2: Uh, Absolutely. And again, I'm going to start with my premise that companies win with having more of their fair share of high performing people, both high professional specialists and high performing high potentials. Um, Yeah, you can step off anytime. What I always tell people, absolutely. Um, Be true to yourself. Um, Make sure you know what you love, what you're really good at, what job factors are important to you and perform and make sure you perform relatively better than other people. You don't have to be 80th percentile, but don't fall. Uh, I always tell people a danger zone is falling below that 50th percentile performer on a regular basis.
1: Okay. Now, suppose I'm a high potential. Suppose I've consistently performed over the last, let's say, five years even at the 80th or above percentile. I've taken some risks. I've delivered. I've taken some high profile, low resource opportunities. I've delivered those. You know, I've got a strong, powerful reputation. Yep. All right. And then let's say for whatever personal reasons, I need to kind of pull back for a period yep. of time, let's say six months, a year, and a host of reasons might come up on that one. What happens then? Am I going to fall off the high potential list? I mean, what do companies typically be thinking about?
2: Well, it, it's tip again, if you have a couple of not great years from a performance wise, probably. Yeah. It doesn't mean you're you're going to be a horrible employee, but you may not get that differentiated exposure, differentiated rewards, that next big opportunity. Um I always uh, coach folks. If there is a situation where, for whatever reason, you need to pull back, um, be upfront, let your manager know, let your HR leader know what your situation is and your, what your plans are. Um, let's say even you have to move from full time to half time work for whatever reason for some period of time. Be upfront with that, but continue to be a high performer, perform well, and when you're ready to get back on the fast track, let people know.
1: All right. So you think it's just a matter of I've got the track record. I've been there. I'm transparent with people about what I need to do and what I'm going to do. I keep my performance up. I don't let my performance decline. And then I say when I'm ready to put the gas back on again, Absolutely. like I'm ready for more. And I love how you said this. It's a signaling. It's a not, I want a new job tomorrow because that is never going to work, yep. but I'm ready to do more. And sometimes doing more may be an additional project, not a change in job title. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Perfect. All right. Jim, this is a perfect place to take a break because when I come back, I want to move from the shift of the individual and what it needs I'd need to be doing as a high-performing individual, to be seen as high-performing and move to leadership. And what is it that as a leader, I need to be looking for, promoting and doing to develop my best potential? So my guest today is Jim Shanley. As you've heard, Jim has spent most of his professional career working in the talent parts of the organization and helping organizations manage that talent in every capacity that comes through. Frequent speaker on talent management and leadership development, work with a host of companies around the world, um, and has co-founded in 2012 the Talent Management Institute. We'll be right back. <music> Group and talk about career advancement. And we have a master's level for people who want to take a deeper dive. All on out of the comfort zone.com. We hope you'll join us.
0: If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadership forum.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum. Helping organizations get it and keep it.
1: This is Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. Do you find yourself in a role where your team knows more than you know? Are you struggling to see how you now add value? For years, I've coached leaders who have moved beyond the comfort zone of their expertise and have developed a methodology to help them make the leap and go on to do more. All of those tips are now packed into my new book, You Can't Know It All. Visit our website at leadership-forum.com or tune in to Out of the Comfort Zone for more insight.
0: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadership-forum.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone.
1: Welcome back to the show. With me today is Jim Shanley. We have been talking about high performance and high potential, high potential, high performers in an organization, people who have a performance mindset who keep their performance on the what and how in the 80th or better percentile and who are willing to take on those risky projects, get a bit of variety, love change, go into a high stakes, low resourced scenario and deliver against it. I think is the best summary I can give. Um, I promised to talk about leaders and what leaders can do. But Jim, before I go there, do you have any tips for people who are high performers or high potentials and what they need to be focused on?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Remember, um, you become really good at your profession if you have a variety, diversity, adversity, and intensity of experiences. So look for experiences. That's first, whether or not that's special projects and assignments or new jobs. Make sure you're self-aware. Wanda and I joke that most of us are self-delusional. Make sure you're getting feedback and coaching from multiple sources. And tips that, that I've seen, uh, Wanda, that seem to separate the best from the rest on high potentials, mm-hmm. uh, one, they treat their boss as their most important client. Now, that may be counterintuitive, especially if you've got a crappy boss. But remember, it's your boss who's going to be sitting in those talent reviews with the CEOs talking about you. So treat your boss as your most important client. Do everything asked of you and then ask for more. Okay. Be consistent in your relationships and how you treat people up, down and across. Because remember, you're on Broadway. And if you play to certain crowds and not to the others, you'll get a a sticker on your back um, and the trust word will start getting with you, whether or not you can be trustworthy because you treat different groups differently. Mm -hmm. Don't get hung up on the unimportant and the irrelevant. And where I talk about it, titles, office, um, don't be high maintenance around that kind of stuff. (laughs) Five, constantly expand your sphere of influence, Right. Um, connecting with other people in the company and externally is important. And then don't ever stop learning. Continue to build both your technical expertise and your leadership skills.
1: Boy, those are great tips. I have to repeat them, Jim. I'll see, make sure I got them all straight here because they were really powerful. Um Get a variety of experiences. I will echo that one. That is the best way of building reputation, both with adversity and variety as well. Self-awareness. You're going to improve that by learning. I'm going to say learn to get to ask for good feedback from multiple sources. And I think it's the skill for the person to learn to ask, to get. Treat your boss, regardless what you like or dislike about that boss, as your most important client. Do everything that's asked of you and ask for more because that's your capacity to do more, to go farther, faster, as you say. Consistent in your relationships, up, down, outward, sideways, not ignoring your peers, I might emphasize, and how you treat people. Not getting hung up on the unimportant or irrelevant things. Title is not the most important thing that's going. Expand your sphere of influence constantly and keep learning about the expertise area, and about your leadership,
2: I—that's I, spot on, Wanda. And you know, I want to come back to that self-awareness part, and I, I really liked what you said. It's a skill to learn how to get and ask for feedback. Um, you know, in the Talent Management Institute, we've had over five thousand leaders come through the institute, and when I ask the question, "Do you know your status in terms of your potential status?" of people say, I'm not sure. And then when I ask this question, have you ever asked your boss? Everybody knows almost every company goes through talent reviews and they know whatever their scheme is, they're getting evaluated on performance and potential. We live in an environment of don't ask, don't tell. I don't want, I'm not going to ask my boss what got talked about me. Um, because I might not want to hear the answer. It's a skill. Ask for that feedback. It's so important because if you get the feedback, you can make adjustments and it'll help you get what you want.
1: Now, some of my clients have a policy of not telling. Yeah. But then there's ways to ask, to get clues. So what's the best questions you hear about how to ask this?
2: Well, actually, um, uh, at the Talent Management Institute, we've done research on this topic uh, over 15 years of, to tell or not to tell the companies mm-hmm. tell and 40% of companies usually tell their leaders where they stand and 60% mm-hmm. don't. And it's been unchanged over the last 15 years when companies don't tell. And I, for your listeners, um, sometimes there's good reasons. Um, they're concerned. Well, if we tell someone they're not a high potential, they won't be engaged mm-hmm. or, um, uh, we're concerned if we tell this person they're a high potential, they're going to get an outsized ego or our leaders aren't ready to have that conversation. I I think that's all um, excuses. Um, I think the core reason is most leaders are uncomfortable telling a person you may not be high potential. Mm -hmm. And so tips, sit down with your boss, make sure you understand the process that's used in your talent reviews, whatever the right. scheme is, or the ratings, it's usually public. And your listeners are senior enough that they're participating in those sit right. down with your boss and tell your boss, Hey, you don't have to tell me which box I am or a specific rating, but I have an aspiration to go far and fast. Am I on track? Mm-hmm. What could I do differently? if there's a big role that will come up, am I actually on the candidate list for that? Um, you, you know, Mark Efron, who co-founded the Talent Management Institute, wrote a great article um, 10 years ago, and it was called the Op- Determining the Optimal Amount of Time to Lie to Your Employee. <laughs> um, help your boss tell you the truth. And if you're not a high potential, ask why. And it's usually going to have to do with performance in the water. How? Or are you handling ambiguity, change? Um, are you raising your hand for extra projects? You'll get more feedback to make adjustments.
1: Right, right. I do think there's an art in knowing how to ask those questions and to receive the answers in a way that's not defensive. So stay tuned to that one for another podcast. Jim, let's um, do what we promised, which is talk about leaders. So let's say I'm a manager now, and I have people reporting to me. What do I need to be thinking about to identify the high potentials and the top performers and the high professionals? Like, what should be in my head as I'm evaluating my team?
2: Sure. Um, I'll go back to uh, what we started with, um, Wanda. If you have 10 direct reports just stack rank their performance on the what and how, one through 10, one through 10 on what and how, and look and say, hmm, do these three people consistently, are they consistently on the upper end of both? That's great. They've just gone through the high performance gate. Second, have you talked to the individual around what they want? Do they want to move up? Or are they happy in their role? Or do they want to move up narrowly or broadly? Have that conversation. Right. My, It's your obligation if you're a good manager, you do that. And then third, sit back and say, okay, for these three or four people out of my 10 that I think might be high potential, would I stake my reputation that they'll do really well in a bigger, more complex, unfamiliar role? Have they had a variety of kinds of experiences and always performed? Um, Are they comfortable with ambiguity and change? Are they relatively good with people? Are they resourceful? Have you thrown them into the deep end before and they deliver? Mm -hmm. That's usually a very simple way. Most companies overcomplicate this.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, And going through that gate, starting with performance is the key. Right. Right.
1: I like um, I like that you say I like that notion of we're going to rate them on the performance, stack rank them 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 on the what and the how, and look at your upper echelon, and then do I know what they want? And most managers say, "What job do you want next?" But you're saying not that question. Do they want to go broad or do they want to stay narrow? Do they want more responsibility? Do they not want more responsibility? How much responsibility? So, you're asking about their aspiration to go far or not, to go fast or not. A- abs- abs- not the job.
2: Absolutely. And it's not the next job. And, um, you know, the, the question sometimes it's overused, but I like the question what's the job you want to be in in five or six or seven years? And let's get real specific in our current organization. You know, put the org chart out, pick the box, forget about who's in it or anything. And then the, the dialogue starts with great. You need two big experiences before you're even going to be a candidate for that. Yeah, What makes sense next? Yeah, And are you prepared for that? Let's yeah. close that gap. All right.
1: I often say to people, uh, we're going back to the individual level rather than the boss level, but say to people kind of dream big. Like if you could have any job you want to dream big, 10, 15, 20 years from now, I, I don't care. Do you, and I ask people a series of questions. Do you want to be on the management committee? Do you want to be on the regional or local? Do you want, how much risk do you want to take? Do you want to be functional? Do you want to be a generalist? Like, just give me some big criteria for kind of how far you want, would love to go if you can. And then you have to back up and say, what kind of experiences make me a credible candidate for those opportunities? And then you start looking for how you get those experiences. And I'll say the same thing to managers. That's a much easier conversation to structure than to say, well, what job do you want next? And let me put that on your um, development plan. Like that just doesn't get you very far.
2: Exactly. I mean, one of our mantras is experiences should be the language of development. Right. What experiences make sense?
1: Right. Right. And again, there are ways to get experiences that are not about moving job or to moving title. There's a host of ways of getting that kind of exposure and experience um, without giving up the safety of the seat that I'm currently in. Absolutely. Okay. And I, the second thing I like about what you're doing here is this framing on the ability to take a bigger role, a more complex role, an ambiguous role. And I can judge that because they're good at change. They're generally pretty good with people. They're good with resources. I've thrown them into something complex and ambiguous and crazy before, and they've delivered. There's That adds to rather than, okay, I think they could do it. Um, I've now got some criteria that make some sense, and I would stake my reputation on their ability to do it. Yep. it's great. All right, now if we shift to this notion about um, – development. Okay, how do how do you think about what your job as a manager is development wise, especially with these people you have identified as high potential. And I ask this because I think this is about every company when they do whatever their engagement survey version is, the results come back with we're low on development. We're not getting enough development. So, you have any advice on that one in terms of how to think about development?
2: Yeah, I I I think before you have development, you have to have feedback. And um, most managers um, shy away from having candid conversations. And um, a lot of times I hear, well, they may not have the skill. And I always joke with managers. I bet if I talk with your partner, spouse, or best friend, they'll say, oh, this person can be really candid, really direct. We've got the skills to do it. Mm -hmm. But sometimes we want to be liked and we don't, Deliver mm-hmm. So, again, for your listeners, both if you're a manager or a performer, know that people don't like giving feedback. Make it yeah. easier for them to receive the feedback. But um, I start out if you're a manager, make sure you have two or three big challenging goals you've given each person. So, So make what winning is very, very clear.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Give what we call two plus two quarterly feedback. There are two things uh, relative to what you worked on uh, this quarter that you could have done better, differently, more of, less of. Here are two things moving forward relative to your goals that I'd like you to see, that I'd like you to focus on. Have that direct conversation. It's a 15-minute conversation. Um, mm-hmm. I, I like in terms of, of also being that transparent coach if I asked, if you're a manager, if I asked each of your 10 direct reports this question, do you know where you stand with your manager? Yes or no? And would they give you the right answer? So give them feedback um, daily, weekly, monthly. I like formal 15, 20 minute, two by two conversations to force the truth out. Once you get the truth, then it's development. And again, I, I use the, the mantra, experiences should be the language of development. So if, if the person um, is reluctant to speak up in meetings, okay. um, I like setting real clear goals and say, we're going to have a meeting on this controversial topic. Um, come talk to me beforehand around your point of view, your theory of the case. I think that kind of coaching with the person before the big meeting is helpful. Mm-hmm. I think that's the manager's obligation, especially if you see that person has more stuff that they're able to deliver, but maybe hesitating, hesitating mm-hmm. in some ways.
1: Okay. And what do you think about how to give people experiences they haven't had that give them exposure to ambiguity or to complexity? You know, any advice on how to think about those kind of assignments?
2: Yeah, there's more work that needs to be done than resources. Yeah. Um, If the person is high potential, they're gonna figure out a way to get their work done and do more. Um, If you don't have it in the area you're responsible for, go to your boss and say, I've got a person who's really, really good, who's really smart, who loves change, can handle ambiguous situations. Do you need someone for three hours a week who is just a superstar on this meeting on a meaty project you're working on. So find that
1: opportunity. Okay. That's an interesting one. What if somebody's not particularly good with complexity, let's say they get nervous about it. They like to have everything buttoned down and tight, you know, tightly organized and so on, but in every other dimension, they're looking really, really good. How can I get them more comfortable with dealing with complexity?
2: That's, that's a tough one. I'd, I'd have to, uh, Wanda, you know, depending on the person, is that a hardwiring that they're never going to get over or is it just, um, a confidence level? Mm-hmm. Um, I like to throw people into situations, make sure they have enough support and then give them feedback right after the situation. Mm-hmm. Hey, you hesitated. You should have had a point of view or during a project that I might be involved in. And I know this person, um, uh, shies away from complexity, uh, I tell them up front, hey, I'm going to ask you these three questions during the meeting. Have a okay, point okay. of view.
1: Okay. So it's a nudge. It's not just, I throw you in at the deep end of the pool and hope you figure out what to do. I'm going to nudge you, show you, kind of give you some guidance on what I'm expecting you to do. And then it's over to you to actually really try it, to really a- execute it. Ab- absolutely. Answer. Okay. All right. Some good advice there. Um Let's flip the coins for just a couple minutes. Suppose instead of talking about high potentials, let's talk about the opposite. You know, what, what's the current data? Most of our, our hires are 50, 50, a good hire or a bad hire. We're not very good at this. How do I know if I've made a bad hire and what should I do about that?
2: Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think about how to say this nicely. Cut your losses early. Um, i've made uh, i've hired a lot of people in my career um and more often than not wanda when i've made a mistake um it wasn't because we didn't do good screening on their technical skills their experiences their thinking their intellectual horsepower um i used to have i called it the five question test
1: mm-hmm.
2: um during at the end of every interview round when we're bringing someone in, um, we'd go through, do they have the uh, do they meet the job spec? And then I'd say, everybody has to go around the table with the five questions. And here were the five questions. Would he or she work for you? Would you work number two, would you work for him or her? Number three, would you trust him or her her with your corporate life? To deliver on their commitments with high quality work, to not have a personal agenda, and to represent the function with integrity. Four, would you learn from him or her? And five, would he or she be fun to work with? What I found, hiring mistakes, if they were for skills that we didn't interview well for, shame on us. Right. Um, Most hiring mistakes that I've made and I've seen other managers made, they didn't answer one of those five questions, honestly.
1: Okay. All right. So, and I like that you said this. Everybody who's done the interviewing, everybody going around the table has to answer all five questions. So, no passes on this. Okay. Would you have the person work for you? Would you work for the person yourself? That's an interesting test. Do you trust this person with your corporate life to deliver without an agenda in the best possible way for us? Will you learn from them? And is it going to be fun to work with them?
2: Yep. And, and on the corporate life, not only deliver on their commitments with high integrity.
1: Okay. With high integrity.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's, and, and so hiring mistakes um, either are from, for, they didn't have the skill. They didn't have the strategic fit with where the company was going, or there was something personal. And I, I, I don't ever like to hear while well, they weren't a culture fit. Yeah, uh, I don't. I never knew what that meant.
1: Right, uh, culture fit usually, in my experience, means you're not like me, style-wise, which it, doesn't it, usually help. It's not the right answer for where we want to go with this one. I do see uh, occasions where I f- believe an individual has oversold themselves. They've overrepresented what they've done in their experience, their contribution to something that was done. Um, and so they make it sound like they can do more than they actually can do. Do you see that as well?
2: Uh, yeah, but but good interviewers should be able to screen that out. Okay. Uh, if, if you're not a good interviewer, Shame on you, your interview process. Um, again, I always like to have multiple people checking competence around the job specification. Okay. With very piercing questions that we've um, uh, gone over in advance.
1: Great. Great. But that means that there is some thoughtfulness to what kind of questions, what kind of um, competency we're looking for, et cetera.
0: Yes,
2: and, and specifically looking at the jobs to be done over the next 18 months and talking about specifically what they have delivered in their former roles. Right, right. that's
1: right. I think if you get there, you, you can get a little bit better sense. All right, Jim, one and a half minutes to answer my favorite question of all. What takes you out of your comfort zone and what do you do under those cases?
2: What takes me out of my comfort zone? Um well, I think I'll answer that in two ways, on the personal side and then on the business side. Um, on the personal side, I'm out of my comfort zone uh, when I'm separated for a period of time from my from my spouse, Vera, for any extended uh, times. Um, Vera's a partner in the consulting business. She's a retired physician who specialized in pediatric anesthesia. We've been married 40 years, and she's a true renaissance uh, woman. When I'm separated from her, I'm not on steady ground, and I'm truly out of my comfort zone. On the business side, it's frustrating when I meet a lot of leaders and HR leaders, professionals who like to chase shiny objects and fads, whether or not it's power posing, strengths-based coaching, grit, bringing your authentic self to work, 10,000 hours of practice, growth mindset. I have to work hard to control my emotions <laughs> when trying to discuss the science behind that or the lack thereof in their point of view. Um and I have little tolerance for people who chase shiny objects. So I have to really call on all of my EQ. I'm out of my comfort zone.
1: <laughs> jim, what a great answer. I think many of us share that that uh, perception with you. Jim, if somebody wanted to get in touch with you, how should they reach out?
2: Uh, easiest way is my email, jim at jimshanley.com
1: fabulous. Jim, thanks for being a guest today. What a wonderful discussion. I think anybody, whether you're a manager or aspiring to advance in your career, needs to understand what we talked about today, the notion of dealing with complexity, in ambiguity, how far I want to go, how fast I want to go, and having above all a performance mindset, keeping myself in that top 20% in the company. I think they're all great comments. So thank you, Jim.
2: Great. Thanks,
1: Wanda. All right. If you like what you've heard today, please like us on your favorite podcast provider. And if you'd like to know more how to apply these concepts and others, check out our subscription service at outofthecomfortzone.com. We'll see you next week.
0: Thank you for joining us today. Tune in for another edition next week with Dr. Wanda Wallace on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.